Welcome to today's Minnesotan pod, Hockey Podcast. If you haven't already, do yourself a favor and check out the Minnesotan. You can visit their flagship store in historic downtown White Bear Lake or on the web at theminnesotan.com. On today's show, we sit down with David Fisher, the Senior Director of Communications for USA Hockey. David's a Minnesota native, has spent a few years here, but most of his years he spent at UMD uh, as, a, as a student and then went to Michigan Tech as the Sports Information Director until 2000 where he took over as a senior director of communications for USA Hockey. We're going to have some great stories, including his start in the business, as well as his time spent on the staff with the Frozen Four and USA Hockey's uh, Olympic team from 2006, 2010, 2014, and 2018. A lot of ground to cover. I hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, good afternoon, David. How are you doing today? Tony, I am doing terrific. How are you? Good. Uh, we had a couple good laughs uh, before the show. Uh, you and I are storytellers, and we never tell stories about ourselves. So this is going to be a little odd for you today, isn't it? It, it certainly is, and uh, a little reversal of roles. And I, sh- I should tell you, Tony, too. You can use Dave. Usually, when I hear David, I, uh, my mother, and was long since, unfortunately, passed away. Usually, I only heard David when I'm in trouble. So. Well, yeah, and it's funny. There's the David Fisher Apple Valley first yeah. round draft pick confusion too. So yeah, well, that's right. I, I apologize. Uh, no, you don't. No, apologize at all. Uh, well, it's it's fun to uh, sit down and talk to you. Our, our pre-show was pretty uh, outstanding. Some of the stuff that you have in your memory banks and your experiences. Hopefully, we can cram a lot of those in here in 60 minutes today because there's there's a lot to do. But before we get into that, I want to just kind of go through your bio, who you are, where you grew up uh, before your professional career. Because I think kind of your background is interesting to see how you, how someone gets to to point A to point B to point C. So you grew up. Uh, your dad was from Wisconsin and you guys and worked for 3M so you kind of moved around a little bit talk about where, where you grew up and how you got to UMD eventually yeah well uh I was very very fortunate to to um my mom and dad Jim and Marty uh they they really instilled great values in my brother and I and and uh I was really really fortunate to have them as my parents unfortunately lost them long ago in 99 and 01 as at the age of 58 and, and uh 60 but I know they're still Watching down from above, but uh, my dad, as you mentioned, did work for 3M. We, were, we we spent the first six months, or I spent the first six months of my life in Hudson, Wisconsin. Was born there, right across the river from the Twin Cities, and yep. uh, then we moved to Hastings, uh, Minnesota. My dad worked at the Chemolite plant there through uh, kindergarten, my kindergarten years, and then uh, 3M was opening a new plant in Cordova, Illinois. So we moved, and we actually lived in Bettendorf, Iowa, in the Quad Cities, right yep. on the Iowa-Illinois border, and was there from. Grades one through 10. And of course, as you know, no hockey really there no. at, the, at the time. There's lots of hockey in Iowa now, which is fun to see the growth and expansion of of uh, hockey all across the country. It's now played in all 50 states, which is just awesome. And and then um, my dad had a chance to transfer back to uh, the main 3M center in St. Paul 
uh, after my sophomore year. And, you know, it was one of the most devastating times of my life because I was really involved in so many things in, in Bettendorf and, uh, you know, the good Lord has a plan and, you know, I, I can look back now and, and see what that was. And it was great. We moved back to uh, Cottage Grove and graduated from Park Cottage Grove in uh, 1982 and had two great years there. And, and then I went up to Minnesota Duluth for five years and, uh, it was a wonderful experience too. And of course, uh, 82 to 87, we had some pretty dark, doggone good hockey teams at that time as well. Well, we're going to get to that, but before we do, um, your, your athletic career kind of got sh- cut short, uh, in junior high due to asthma, but it didn't take away your love of sports. Walk through so your involvement in sporting teams, even back in Bettendorf, uh, rolling the rock in the PA, uh, at your high school <laughs> games, right? <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, it's not like yeah. you, you, like this is a story like just because you can't you know make the Olympic team doesn't mean you can't make the Olympics kind of story, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's a great way to look at it. And you know the the, the great news in, in the sports industry uh, for those that might be listening and want to have a career in the sports industry, there's so many different avenues. And certainly at the time uh, in the pre-internet days, as a kid, didn't have an opportunity to learn and, and know like we do today, which another, which is another great uh, benefit yeah. of the digital world we live in today. But, you know, I, I spent three of my first six years of my life in the hospital due to asthma. And then in sixth grade, the doctor finally said, yeah, man, you're endangering your life. You just got to stop playing sports. And certainly that was heartbreaking. I mean, I, I love all sports still do today. And I, I've always thought my career would take me in sports in some fashion. I think probably I thought as I grew older, I'd, I'd kind of go down the path of a play-by-play guy, you know, be the, be the Al Michaels or Doc Emmerich. And, right. um, but, you know, I stayed involved after, you know, I had to quit, you know, I wrote a lot. Uh, I was a student manager. I did PA. I had the good fortune actually to do PA for minor league baseball, uh, the old Quad City Cubs when I was a freshman and sophomore uh, in, in high, high school. school. Yeah, Think so about I, that. Yeah. You're 14 years old and you're doing the PA for a single A baseball team. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're pretty lucky. I got to know Fran Riley. It was at KSTT in Davenport. He covered our, we were really good in football in Bettendorf and they still are today. And, you know, I was involved with our football team as a student manager and Fran had come out to our, our practices and I got to know him. And so, you know, you know, really lucky. I laughed to it. We're up for the Bettendorf news. And uh, you might remember a guy by the name of Roger Craig. Yes. And uh, that was when you said Bettendorf football, I thought of Roger Craig. Yeah. And we played them. He played for Davenport central. Yeah. 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 um, We were the number one and two teams in the state when we played and we played over at their place and, and uh, we wound up beating them 15, 14. And, uh, I, just, you know, you just think back to some of those things and, uh, it, I, you know, I was, I was really lucky to, to have the experiences I had and they've, they've certainly benefited me to this day. No question about it. So you get to UMD and kind of, you have a, your freshman year, kind of a watershed moment. Uh, you, you go to mass of all places and yeah. the kind of life kind of thing, you, you kind of looking right and you end up going left and it was a, a really good path. Yeah, that, uh, you know, and, and again, this was my, my senior year in high school. Um, would have been 82 and I went to UMD sight unseen. I, you know, I knew they had a good communications program or I had heard or read and, but we didn't go up and visit. Um, so I arrive on campus and, you know, I was a lost puppy probably that for, that was back in the days. Weren't, used to weren't we all years. though? Kind of. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Good point, Tony. I mean, 
So you're kind of wandering, trying to find your way. And I think it was the first Wednesday of December. I, I went to mass uh, at the Kirby Student Center. There was just 10 of us around a, a table and uh, the priest said mass. And there's a guy that was all dressed in sweats. Uh, and after mass, I, I just felt compelled to go up to him and say, hey, are you involved in athletics by chance? And he said, yeah, my name is Duke Knudsen. And I'm the sports information director here. And uh, I asked him what that meant because I didn't know. And he right. told me all about what they did, uh, PR, writing, releases, and keeping stats, and that that whole realm. And I, I just said, well, I'd be interested to help out if you ever need help. And he said, well, we can always use help. So stop by sometime. And I stopped by the very next day and every day thereafter the rest of my collegiate career. And, you know, here we are today. Kind of chuckle. It's an interesting story. I, I want to get to the stop by every day, every day. Basically, you fell in love with the process and you weren't getting paid. This is all volunteer. Uh, you know, let's just go through go to day 15 or day 35 of that freshman year did you see this as a career path or is this more of a passion to get through college you know what i i, I as i as i mentioned I, I knew i wanted to do something in sports and i had been you know doing writing and all kinds of you know other things in and around sports growing up and um i didn't know that there was such a thing as sports information but i really enjoyed it and it's things i all really enjoyed uh being a part of and i you know i was always inquisitive i loved the business end of, of sports and fundraising and everything else to do with an athletic department so i was uh, always asking lots of questions but you know i i just had so many uh different opportunities to do different things and dukes Knutson that first year um and then bob nygaard the other four years who took over for dukes and, and bobby just uh, uh finished 37 years at UMD right. as a sports information director here just uh, shortly ago. But, um, you know, Bob let me do so many things. I was able to, there was never any broadcast of UMD men's basketball games. And, you know, I was able to get that off the ground and go to the chancellor for funding. And I did the games uh, on radio and, and, you know, I was able to do Steve Dzerski at uh, up in uh, Duluth commercial radio when, when the hockey season and football season overlapped, he, he, he said, could you fill in for me doing the play-by-play in football? So you get, those experiences. And, you know, Bob gave me a lot of leeway to do a lot of different things. So I, I was really, really fortunate to have such a great mentors uh, at, at the beginning in Dukes and, and Bob and, and have so many great experiences that, you know, really, and I, I sought them out, certainly. And I always encourage young kids, get as much experience and, and get your hand and do as many different things as you can, because it will help you down the way. I had a broadcast guy or tell me once he goes, yeah, it's the first thousand games, which are the hard ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and it's Lily. I, I told this, I, I ran into a 15 year, two 15 year old kids uh, over in uh, Chanhassen and uh, they were broadcasting a Chanhassen hockey game. And they're like, Tony Scott, can we get your autograph? Or this, I mean, they were really nice. They didn't have to do that. Yeah. And and I thought about it. I'm like, you know, these guys have watched me do these youth games and these high school games. That was kind of neat that they had said that. And they asked me yeah. for some advice. And I said, well, you know, just just keep doing what you're doing. Do as many games as you can. By the time you're 18 years old, you're going to be way better than I have ever been because you're you're, you're excited about it. And th that's the advice I give kids. Just, just keep hammering it. Get the experience. 
Follow your dreams, that's for sure. Yeah. So in the eighties, I want I picked up on this really quick when I knew your college years is nineteen eighty four. One of my favorite teams ever was that eighty four UMD team with you know Watt, Watson and and Curvers and my favorite Danny May and uh, all those guys. Uh, one of the greatest UMD teams of all time lost a heartbreaker. You can talk about the heartbreak, but talk about you know the domination that that they had those years. Oh boy, you you mentioned some of those names, and I, I uh, feel so fortunate to have got to watch those those teams played. My first year at UMD was Mike Sertich's first year as head coach, and uh, you know you talk about mentors over the course of time too. I, I uh, Sertich sat me down and gave me so much sage advice that you know I still look back on today and think I didn't probably realize it at the time, but uh, now and then actually. I, I kind of do chuckle too because he came over to Michigan Tech for right. about two and a half years to be our coach, and I got to work with him professionally. And my father had died in that time period, and so he kind of took over as my dad of sorts for for a while there in the time I was grieving. But Surdy started, you know, in those, those years in '82 to '87, and that '84 team, I, I, uh, I still can remember that national championship game. Uh, I was not in Lake Placid. And, and uh, for those of you listening, uh, that was Bowling Green and, and UMD in yes. the national championship yep. game. And Bowling Green, unfortunately, won in the fourth overtime. Just one of the great, great games. And so sad to, to lose it. But watching that that team and through those years, I mean, I, I think we were about 40% on the power play, Tony. I still don't know that there's been ever a better college power play than I've seen since those days and we created a new nickname bob nygaard and i for norm mciver um he, he ran the point of the power play and we yep. said he bowed that he bow dangles back there <laughs> so he, we always called him the great bow dangler he but, had uh, hands didn't he gosh could he play and brett hull and guy goslin and jimmy johnson rick costian goals you mentioned some others uh, they were really fun to watch so you know, those were really fun days, and it's fun to see the great job that Scott Sandalum has uh, done and all the success UMD has had recently here. And uh, just make, makes me smile and proud uh, as an alum, that's for sure. We would go watch them play down here at, at uh, Williams Arena, well, Mariucci, whatever, uh, in those years. And my dad, who was not really a hockey mind, said to me once, he goes, it's like they have three first lines, not one. And that was literally... He said that to me. I was like, "Dad, that's pretty smart. They do have three first lines. They were that deep." I love the old Williams Arena too. That, that, the uh, roof, right? The great, that's oh, the great old barns. The best popcorn ever. White popcorn, white kernel popcorn. Oh, that's yeah. a lot of fun memories there too. The smells in that place. I mean, yeah. like every oh, everywhere yeah. you turn, there'd be a new smell. There'd be the Zamboni smell. They there was the women's program. Believe it or not, they would sell this like Russian tea in the in the lobby so it was like there was this tea smell there was this popcorn smell it was uh one of a kind it wasn't very clean either right it was just this old dingy place and then you go to the deck yeah. and it was beautiful you know it was like it was it was it was the a tale of two worlds that's for sure yeah it was uh it, it was fun i mean you had to go up the steps to get to the rank from the locker room yep and that williams arena you know the old Wooger, Wooger back in the day, and uh, a lot of fun with uh, with Wooger. Uh, what a great, great man! Yeah, uh, he was, and 
I'm just so fortunate to have so many great memories and be part uh, in place, you know, just a very small part in the hockey community, but it is a great community with such great camaraderie and some camaraderie and so many terrific people all across the country. So you went, you know, your, your college years, 82, 87 UMD, that's some pretty good times. And then you end so, up, I want to, I got to hear the story, how you got hired as basically a 22 year old kid as an SID at a you know division one program like Michigan Tech, walk through that hiring process. Yeah, I, I again, you look back and you go, wow, how that <laughs> happened, right? <laughs> well, you know, seriously, and you know, today, today, fortunately, in the communications world and sports information, athletic communication staffs, one and the same, just people term them differently. They're much broader and bigger because of the digital age we live in. So there's more jobs, which is great for people that want to be involved yeah. in sports. But, you know, I, I uh, had applied for the open job at Michigan tech just, you know, as my college career was winding down, cause you need to apply for jobs. Um, and I never expected to get the job. I applied for some others as well. And UMD actually was going to create a position for me as an assistant to Bob Nigard, the first ever assistant SID they had had. So I had that in my hip pocket, um, and I knew that uh, late in April, and, you know, I was excited. I loved UMD, loved Bob. It was a great place, and uh, but then uh, I got a call from Bill Kerno, who I had called um, from Michigan Tech, who I uh, called earlier, and he said, no, uh, we have, you're not in our list of finalists or whatever, which I expected, obviously. And, right. But he called me back uh, in early June, asked me if I was still interested in the job. Bill was the uh, oversaw university communications for all of Michigan tech. And I went over for the interview two days later, he called back and offered me the job and I, I almost didn't take it. I, uh, I, I really wanted to stay at UMD and, and uh, my dad and Bob Nigard both said, fish, you are absolutely crazy if you don't take the head job there. And they were right. I obviously took it and, um, you know, I thought I'd be there for a couple of years to start my career. I knew no one. And, uh, I had 17 just fantastic, marvelous years in the UP. And at some point in your early in your career, uh, you by a stroke of luck, again, luckiest guy on the, on earth, I think, uh, you're in Washington, D.C., and you meet your future wife, who is also an SID. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty remarkable. I, uh, Cosida is the name of this convention that happens every year. It stands for College Sports Information Directors of America. And essentially what it is, it's a gathering of all the people in college public athletic public relations from all divisions, division one, two, three, NAI from all across the country. And they gather for a week long convention every year. I bet um, it's some amazing year. networking too, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. We, we met. And, uh, so this year was in Washington, DC, um, uh, Boy, I should know the year. <laughs> I better be careful. I'm not going to say the wrong year, so I'll just say it was around where you said, Tony. But uh, yeah, something '89. Let's just say, yeah. right? Yeah, we'll go. We'll go with it. And um, Tom Greenhoe, uh, yes. and some people in Minnesota yes. might remember. Oh he yeah, actually introduced my wife and I at Cosida, uh, and her name was Angie Holtman at the time, and she was women's SID at Minnesota at the time, and and. Uh, did she go we to met. Minnesota? Did she go to Minnesota? She she went to Minnesota State, and she worked under Paul Allen, who was another name people in Minnesota. Yes, uh, no, longtime PR head at uh, for Mankato. the Mavericks there at Minnesota yeah. State. So, you know, she grew up in Austin, Minnesota, uh, and she did. So we met, and, and uh, again, 
we we always are my mom wrote our wedding invitation at, at the front of it says we met at the nation's capital in celebration of the fourth of july sparklers and fireworks ignited the celebration of our love and i said mom we'll use it it was good so we that's how we met and you know here we are almost 30 years later uh enjoying life together in the springs right yeah, yeah, Colorado Springs now for sure. So you live in Colorado Springs. You basically lived in two places. You lived in the UP, and then, and now you live in the Springs. Let's go back to the UP. Uh, what was it like being a, a non-Uper uh, living in the UP for 17 years? It's, it's, it's one thing, like you said, living there for a couple of years, getting your career off the ground, but 17 years is, is part of a lifetime. Yeah, no, Tony, it sure is. Um, it's it's uh, just look back with such fun fun memories and uh, you know I, I was fortunate you mentioned uh, Michigan Tech Division One hockey program the rest of the sports division too and and uh, you know when I was there really successful volleyball women's volleyball really successful men's and women's basketball really successful football uh, we became very successful um, so you know, a lot, lot of fun and, uh, you know, smaller school. So I had an opportunity to kind of grow in my career and add marketing to my duties and then administration and hiring coaches and doing some contract negotiations with buildings. And so you have a chance to dip your hands and, and be involved in a lot of things. And that was a real blessing, you know, just to, to be able to gain that experience. Um, the community uh, was really just fantastic. It It, it was you had to, you, you kind of grow into it because you didn't know, you know, I knew nobody there. And uh, right. so I, I was finding my way and uh, Wemple Radio, uh, such a big part of uh, the community. College hockey. College, big college part of college hockey. History. Yeah. yeah, Bob Olson. I mean, at, at back in the day, and people that are pre-internet will laugh because back in the day, the way college hockey scores used to get distributed was all the PR people would call into Wimple Radio in uh, the Upper Peninsula, Hancock, Michigan, which is a sister city of Houghton, where Michigan Tech is. They yep. call in, give the score, and then like scouts and GMs and everybody from all over the world would call into 906-482-3700 to get the updates on the score. And then Bob Olson, who did the Michigan Tech games for so many years, and was the owner of the station, he, he created this recorded score line uh, years into it. Um, but it, you know, the history of hockey. Um, and the infrastructure is so rich in the UP and the community. Uh, it's small town America and the charm of that. I didn't realize, you know, probably the first year, year and a half I was there. And I, I grew into it and, I, and it just grows on you. And you think, wow, I was so blessed to have this part, uh, this part of my life uh, and 17 years of it. And I, I just look back with such fondness on it. I mean, it really, really so many wonderful wonderful people that i still keep in contact with today i was doing a podcast uh, a few weeks back with grant patoni at northern michigan uh he's a friend of mine through yeah. oh, running camps with grant and 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 grant said you know the way of life here is very addicting that was his term for it because it's so much slower it's so much easier and uh, you know he lived in maple grove and and worked down at the u and you know, just just the grind of getting through traffic, getting home from traffic, and he's had just a way better family. His my family life is, you know, I'm the head coach, and you'd think being the head coach, I would have less time. He goes, I actually have more time because of the la lack of traffic and the simpler life here in the UP. Yeah, it took me I think eight minutes to get from my house in Hancock over up to work always, and uh, you know, certainly had a lot of snow to deal with in the winter. 
but that was part of the charm of it too. They knew how to take care of it. And I think one time in 17 years, I, I couldn't get from point A to point B. You get used to just, you know, shoveling every day or brushing off your car and, and that's fine. And, um, but, but Grant's right. I mean, it, it is a, it's just a different than being in a large metropolitan area. I, I love people and, you know, anywhere you'd go, you knew people and it's fun to catch up. You know, some people, don't necessarily care for that. They'd prefer to go out to a grocery store somewhere and not know anybody. Uh, and that's fine too. But, you know, that small town charm, um, and especially, you know, just the good natured people. I, like I, I would go to whatever a store and I, I bought a little credenza and it wouldn't fit in my Ford Taurus. It was right next to the Ford dealer. And I just went over and course you know most people in town and i yeah. say hey can i borrow can i borrow a truck just for 10 minutes to bring this to my house oh sure no <laughs> can I? you would never do that in the twin cities yeah yeah it's just it's just different not you know all all and, and we can have fun and enjoy wherever we live if we want to you know right. at the end of the day right uh so uh i got a buddy from up there from houghton and, and he's big into this sauna thing or sauna thing <laughs> is this is this just him or is this the whole town is it like everyone has one it's issued when you arrive what's the story well the, the, there's a big part of again houghton and hancock are both very small cities probably um without the students i think houghton is about eight thousand, and i think hancock is probably around five or six somewhere along there if you're not familiar and listening but uh, Hancock has a small private university called Finlandia University and there's a big Finnish population in Hancock and so you know the 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 sauna as I learned how to say yes. it, as I, from all the Finns I'm still learning know, Dave I'm that, still learning that's a big big part of the roots of the Finnish heritage um, and it is a big thing in the UP because of the large population of Finnish people and you know, I I personally prefer uh, you know the steam so versus do I. the dry sauna. Yeah, like you, it just it's just one of those things. You know, people have saunas along the lake, and you you get in the sauna, and then you go jump in the in the water, and it is a big part of uh, the the culture in the UP as our pasties, which is again something uh, I've never come to quite <laughs> enjoy as much as some people do. <laughs> You're so diplomatic. I love it. You know, the hockey part, the the hockey part of the culture, I I absolutely love and have absorbed in the Michigan Tech pep band and some of those other cultural things I love. But, uh, you know. You literally, um, you cannot start a conversation about the hockey program other than the great history, right, and and all of the national championships they had. But the next place you got to go is either Winter Carnival or the pep band. Which Where do you want to start first? Because it's such a fun thing to talk about, both of them. You know, uh, the pep band is like no other. As, as people that have seen the Michigan Tech band, uh, pep band uh, know, there's, they're in their bright bib overhauls, black and gold, and there's no music major at Michigan Tech. So they're all <laughs> students that have come up and, and just have been in music at some part of their life. Um, and they're, they're just as creative and fun and rowdy. And the Copper Country Anthem is another part of my one of my favorite things that uh, before the start of the third period, the pep band plays the Copper Country Anthem, which is essentially the Blue Skirt Waltz. I right. dream of that night with you, lady, when first we met, da-da-da. Anyway, the whole crowd stands up, locks arms, the pep band plays it, and they sway back, back and, and forth. forth. And one of my favorite 
memories is when Dean Blaze, uh, who was from Minnesota as well, International Falls, he uh, went to the played at the U as well, um, but he's coaching North Dakota at the time. And when when he'd come to Houghton, he would always bring his coaching staff out on the bench early to start the third period, and they'd lock arms. He'd have them all lock arms, and they'd all do the Copper Country anthem together as well. That's so, pretty cool. I, mean, I know, isn't that just fun? I mean, that's wow. uh, just fun stories and things you remember. But you know, the pep band is such an awesome part of certainly Michigan Tech, but just college hockey in general. Yeah, that's fun. At right when you get there, um, you locked in to a pretty cool gig uh, with the Final Four at the time, which has now evolved into the Frozen Four. Walk through the day-to-day life of being on the the that Final Four or Frozen Four staff the last, I can't even count that high, 33 years? Yeah. It's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty pretty lucky again um, at the end of the day. Um, I, my first year at Michigan Tech, I believe the, um, the, the Final Four at the time, now the Frozen Four, as you mentioned, was at, uh, in Detroit at Joe Louis Arena. And I, I was there. I was at oh, that one. That's okay, the, yeah. I call it the Dave Arcaplane game. The puck circled around, hit the glass, popped out. <laughs> Arcaplane knocks the puck in the net, and the Michigan State beats the Gophers on a kind of a fluky goal. That was fluky. No question about it. That was at uh, the old Joe Louis Arena, yes. which, of course, is no longer. But I volunteered, and then John Painter, who was the media coordinator for the NCAA for that championship at the time, he, he said, hey, I'd like to get – a couple people that would kind of like bas- men's basketball, a couple people that just go every year and know everything. You don't have to reteach people and, you know, can just hit the ground running. Would you be interested in doing that if I can get it done? And I said, absolutely. Thank you very much for asking. And he said, who else would you recommend? And um, Julie Kluge was a, the hockey sports information director at Wisconsin at the time. I said, how about Julie? And so Julie and I did that, you know, for a number of years and Julie's no longer at, at the, at Wisconsin, so uh, she doesn't do it any longer. But really, um, and that has continued until present. I still do it today. So it's, get a chance every year to work work the event and be part of the, the staff and largely uh, the media operations. I moderate all the press conferences every year and involved in setting up the infrastructure with the press box and managing the media and all the information that gets distributed um, you know, since they've instituted the red carpet arrivals, I also kind of MC the red carpet arrivals when the teams arrive for the really? semifinals of the championship game. So, yeah, it's it's uh, really another just another blessing to get to be a part of that. And, you know, you just meet so many people along the way and, and get to interact with so many people. So, you know, I love people. And uh, so that's certainly a fun part of it. And it's translated well into my job at USA Hockey to continue down that realm, too, with the, the people you come in contact with. We'll get to USA in just a minute. I want to go through a couple frozen fours. One that uh, you jogged my memory before the show is the 1991 final at the uh, at the St. Paul Civic Center. Triple overtime. What are your memories of that final, that finish? Well, still, I think to this day, there's so many great games and it's hard to always pick out one. But if you if someone someone were to ask me uh, your favorite game, I still think I would probably say that one that Northern Michigan beat Boston University eight, seven and three overtimes. I'm sure Jack Parker would not say no. One of his fondest memories, but you know that game just had such wild swings. Each team, if I if I remember right, I think each team blew three goal leads uh, at some point in the game in the posts and the missed breakaways and the great saves and the 
great plays and it just was a, a wild roller coaster ride. And, and of course, uh, I'm sure some listeners uh, remember the old clear boards at the uh, St. Paul Civic Center, which was just one of the great, I think they were still there in 91. Yep, yep they were. Yeah, the clear boards. Yeah, that's one of the fun things you just remembered. I think today's standards, people look at you like you have two heads. There were cl- what do you mean there were clear boards? It's it's kind of one of those thing, hard things to explain without YouTube. Like YouTube, they're still yeah, on. Yeah. You, you can get a high school hockey highlight on YouTube. Like yeah, see they were clear, and in the later years they were putting placards over them. You know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, this, yeah. They weren't all clear all the way around, but you know, advertising placards they needed to in order to to make money. I think that was the, I think that year too, um, you know, the Hobie Baker Memorial Award, which goes to the top uh, division one men's ice hockey player each year. And it's been fun to see the evolution of that presented during the frozen four uh, each year today. It's, you know, today it's Friday night at the frozen four and it's in between the semifinals on Thursday, the championship game on Saturday. And there's a big celebration with a bunch of things highlighted by the Hobie Baker, but back in 91, the coaches never wanted the Hobie Baker Award presented until after every game of the season was right. presented. Here we are in St. Paul, and it was about 1.30 in the morning before the press conferences for the uh, for the actual championship game were over. And then in come the Hobie Baker people, and there's this press conference to to uh, celebrate the Hobie Baker winner. Uh, I, I just I kind of chuckle thinking back to how we've evolved and thankfully evolved into now. Finally, yeah. On on friday but uh yeah that was that was a great championship and it's always fun to come to st paul because you know it's going to be packed and it's such a great environment for hockey and to, to culminate the, the college hockey season either on the men's or women's side i've been in some of the women's frozen fours uh in in minnesota too that have been hosted uh, by the yeah. and at ritter and such a great environment always and, and great games it's a hockey passion state i'm looking through the list of of winners since 87 here and there's you know what jumps out of me obviously there's some great champions and some cool venues but i look at all these legendary coaches that you had to really build relationships with you know jeff sauer sean walsh hmm. red berenson jerry york guazdecki Lucia, Comley. I mean, these are like the legends of the game. What are your memories of these guys as, as working with them on a day-to-day, on a, on a weekend basis like this? Oh, boy, Tony. That, 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 it just made me smile as you were going through the list. And uh, I, I know them all, and I know, I know them all well. And, I, again, you just talk about blessings in life. I, I think back to you mentioned Coach Sauer, um, God rest his soul, one of the yeah. nicest people you'll ever meet again, a native of St. Paul. I, I can think back to my first year at Michigan Tech, young young kid. I had turned 23 into the hockey season. Um, and one of our first road trips was to Wisconsin at the old Dane County Coliseum. And I had I was all set up in the press box. And I it's about 10 minutes before face-off. And I'm down in the Zamboni Tunnel, just kind of taking it all in. You know, they had 8,600 right. people sold out, all dressed in red, and they were playing the Bud song and swaying back and forth. And I was just thinking to myself, here I am, this young kid, and I think, wow, this is my job. How cool is this? And all of a sudden, I get a tap, tap, tap on my shoulder, and I turned around, and this guy says, hey, how are you? And I said, good. I said, I'm Dave Fisher. I'm the new sports information director at Michigan Tech. And the guy said, hi, I'm Jeff Sauer. I'm the head coach here at the University of Wisconsin. David, Welcome to the WCHA. Oh. We're really glad to have you. And this is like now we're eight minutes before the face-off. 
and I'm trying to picture other sports and I, I, I'm not going to name names, but I'm trying to picture other division one sports and a coach, the head coach coming by eight minutes before the game doing that. Um, but that was coach shower. And that just, I mean, uh, all the, all the coaches you mentioned, they're all just so welcoming. And if you like the sport, you know, I know Jeff Sauer didn't matter. You were the backdoor attendant, the parking lot attendant, whatever you did. The trainer, he wanted to talk to you and he had time for you. And that just flows throughout our sport largely. So you had a chance, I'm, I'm going through some of these games uh, and, and meeting some of these people. Um, so many of these games in your, in your tenure went to overtime. You know, cool. you have you got the Michigan game in, in '96, which is legendary. You have, you know, they they won two in in overtime in two in three years. North Dakota wins one. Uh, Minnesota wins one in overtime. I mean, it, there's been yeah, you have no shortage of dramatic games. So so not only are they winning their national championship and the dream as a coach and these players, but they're doing it in such dramatic fashion. Uh, is your job any different when it's so dramatic? And then you have to deal with the losing teams as well in the press rooms. Yeah, it's not, if you're on the short end of the stick, especially in overtime, it certainly is never fun. And, you know, it's emotional. I, I, and I can think back to my Michigan tech days and unfortunately we never, uh, made it to the national tournament uh, when I was at Michigan Tech, but regardless, the last game, whatever it is, and you're connected with a bunch of people, uh, it's just, you know, it's heart-wrenching. I mean, your your season is over, and I, I'm sure that, again, goes through every sport, but, um, you know, when, you, when your last game is a national championship game, you're the envy of, you know, 58 other teams. Everybody wants to be playing on the last day of the season can be played, but when you come out short and you're that close, especially in overtime, and have had some of those experiences, uh, you know, with our national teams, it is, it is heart wrenching. And you know, the, the athletes are gracious, the coaches are gracious, and they, uh, I, I will just say that the uh, press conferences are usually very short. <laughs> yeah. With the losing side, you know, they have they have a few things to say, and and that's and that's understandable. I think everybody gets it you know the agony the old abc wide world of sports what is it the thrill of victory the thrill of victory agony of defeat yep and that certainly is uh happens at the frozen four well we could do an entire podcast just on your frozen four experiences in these buildings one more before i leave before i leave this topic is is the one in tampa and and again as a gopher fan i hate north dakota but you just gotta love what the university of north dakota their fans their alumni did to that town and and did for the game of college hockey in florida like that what was your takeaway that weekend well, unfortunately, that was one of the ones uh, you missed. that I that I wasn't at because uh, we had a, a world championship uh, at USA Hockey that we were hosting at the same time. So I heard all about it, but I was not in Tampa. Unfortunately, I do believe that uh, there's desire to go back there, and uh, the reports were all great. But the, the the North Dakota fans, as you mentioned, they are they're the envy of college hockey at the end of the day, and I, I think. Everybody would acknowledge that they travel well. They're so passionate about supporting the. I, I can't help but say the the Fighting Sioux. I know it's not the Fighting Sioux, but I know you know it's in my my memory like that forever. And I I, I got such fond memories of the old Sioux Boosters luncheon. The, you know the old Blue Line luncheons and the yeah. polka bands they'd have up there. And you know when I when I was going through the WCHA the the old version when I started at Michigan Tech the Blue Line luncheons were such a big deal where the two competing coaches would talk to the boosters on Friday and 
was always really entertaining and uh, you know those of they still have them but it's it's uh, much less frequent now which you know again things change and evolve and it kind of makes me sad because i the coaches were always you know so engaging and uh, entertaining and you know this digital world we live in and that's changed things a little bit. Uh, that's on my checklist of today, Dave. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. I want to talk about your role. In 2004, you take over. Uh, what was your original job at USA Hockey, and how has it evolved the last 15 years? Well, my job uh, was overseeing uh, communications for the organization. And USA Hockey at the at the core is a youth sports organization and provides the foundation for youth ice hockey in America. That's at the core. Um, the you know the 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 genius of of the people that have put USA Hockey together, the volunteers, you know, the Walter Bushes of the world and the Thayer Tuts that came well before us uh, is, is just, it's all interconnected. We have coaching education, fishing ed- education, junior hockey, of course, youth hockey is at the core, adult hockey, risk management, everything is, you know, from top to bottom, largely not college hockey, not like high school hockey in Minnesota. I mean, right. that's a s- separate thing, but largely hockey is all interconnected through USA hockey. So um, probably the most visible thing USA Hockey does is select and train teams for international competition, and people may be aware of that. But that whole realm, um, you know, there's communications elements to all of it. USA Hockey Magazine um, is part of our efforts, all the media and public relations that happen, uh, usahockey.com, our social channels. And that's all evolved over the course of time, certainly the social part, media part of it, and the dot-com part of it weren't there when I I arrived. So, um it's changed over time. USA Hockey, as I mentioned before, has now played in all 50 states. Our sport has grown immensely over the course of the last 30 years, and that is just awesome to see. So, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to add some more people to keep up with all the, the different things uh, that are going on. Uh, so it's changed in that realm. And that whole digital world we just talked about has added other layers and opportunities and challenges that come yeah. up at, uh, as part of the overall uh, communications efforts of USA Hockey, but uh, it, you know, I guess at the end, uh, at the end uh, of the day on on this, it's it, the challenge of navigating the different communication roads and audiences and everything that goes with it. That that makes it fun, you know, keeps it challenging. Now, USA Hockey. I mean, as far as the, what you need to communicate out, you obviously, you know, what what most listeners on this show today will will be familiar with the, the magazine and obviously your website, um, and, and and your national teams. What are some other things that you're communicating, and, and what are you trying to communicate to um, your readers and your members? Boy. That's a, that is a, a big question, Tony. And that's, that's part of the challenge. We have so many different audiences. Yeah. You know, I Every day the there's core. a different one, right? Oh, I mentioned the core of, of USA hockey being youth hockey and kids get into youth hockey largely through parents. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's one part of our efforts that is uh, on the communication side is, that is communicating to parents and helping them new parents that want to get involved in the game, knowing how to go about it. You know, what equipment you need, how, how can I find my local association or local rink once kids get into hockey? Um, you know, we launched the American development model in 2009, age appropriate learning. And what should my kids be learning at different ages along the way to help parents just kind of understand the landscape. And, you know, we spent an awful lot of 
time and money investing in the American development model and, and putting to, to uh, gather a plan of what's best for kids. And I think that's one of the things that makes me smile every day. And I see it up close every day. And I, I'm, I'm sure, I, you know, I know other people do not, but the uh, what's best for families and kids is at the heart of decisions made every day on the safety and development front at USA Hockey. Um, and, you know, that's at the risk in, in some cases of market share, if you will. I mean, when we started the ADM, in 2009, part of it called for the downsizing of the ice surface for younger age to play yes. half across ice. And that was met, met hockey's very traditional, and that's a good thing, you know, in many, many ways. But uh, that was met with consternation and pretty significant in different parts of the country. And um, our board, our board said, you know what, we spent a lot of time and money and, and research into this, and we know what's going to work. This is what's, this is what's best for kids. Um, and and the fun fact, not only development, but fun. And and uh, you know, it uh, the, the first few years were bumpy, and you know, there's still isolated areas where people still think my little six or seven or eight year old Susie or Johnny should be going up and down the full length of the ice. But yeah. um, you know, again, USA Hockey uh, and and your question on what are you trying to communicate? It's such varied. We I mean, we're communicating to coaches, we're communicating to officials, just the general fan base of the sport, you know, and, and the general fan base of the sport is, is more interested um, in the higher level stuff more times than not. Right. Um, so it's a wide, wide, wide variety of things that we're engaged in covering and highlighting throughout the course of a year. How do you manage the, you know, I'll, I'll use an example. You, you take a, a, a guy like me who played his entire life, grew up with hockey and his blood and his family. Uh, and then he has a son and daughter that play hockey, right. Versus, yeah. versus the guy in Atlanta or the woman in Atlanta, whose kids putting the skates on for the first time. Yeah. What a different education level you know how do you you know how do you write to both of them in and and speak to the in the same exact language because they're completely different people that is uh something that that uh we're working on all all the time and and how people receive uh messages and absorb what channels people receive you know our, our email communication is well above the industry average of of open rate uh, and, and we're, you know, somewhere, most of our stuff is probably 30, 35%, but you go, wow, you're missing 65 <laughs> or 70% of the, of the people. And, and again, you're doubling the, the, the rate of the average, right? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, and, and we, we are engaged in, in keeping up to date and studying this stuff all the time and, and the different behaviors on, on, uh, social channels in terms of, you know, you'd say largely Facebook parents, that's a good place to communicate uh, to parents. Instagram is, you know, more the younger kids. Yeah. Uh, Twitter's kind of a news source for everyone. And, but these things change all the time and best days of the week, best times of each day. And, um, you know, there's, you know, really we have to reinforce the message through multiple channels and multiple times, you know, that's your best chance for um, success. And it, um, you know, the, the, the challenge of that is, is what makes it fun. And like you said, you know, hockey is different and, and uh, it's part of culture and states is different all across the country. The good news, it's in all 50 states. Um, but, you know, we still have plenty of room to grow, which is exciting and fun, too. 
Um, I always get this question. I'm going to kind of flip it over to you after this. Is I, you, when you get to the Stanley Cup Finals and or the semifinal, you know, the Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup, and you got a Sun Belt team and you got a Canadian team in the, in, the, in one semifinal yeah. or whatever. And people are always like, "Who do you want to win?" I'm like, "Oh, if it's not the Wild, because I love to see the home team win, right? That would be fun uh, for for everybody um, here in Minnesota. But if it's not going to be the Wild, I want it to be Sun Belt teams. I want the the Carolinas. I want the Floridas. I want the I want Dallas. I want Anaheim, San Jose. I like." Those non-traditional markets are so great for the growth of the game. Do you guys kind of secretly cheer for that as well at USA Hockey? <laughs> Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, that's secretly. <laughs> yeah. Like, you want yeah, it, though. No. Like, we want to grow the game. We know a yes. victorious Anaheim is great for Southern California hockey. We are always, uh, and we're not cheering against anyone. No. We're cheering, right. we're, cheering, we're cheering for the American teams, most certainly, and the impact that the National Hockey League uh, has on the growth of the game is extremely significant, as is no secret. We're, we have a very, very close partnership uh, with the NHL um, on all facets of the game. And it's, it's you know, the synergy between the big stakeholders of, in the game of hockey is really a big part of the secret of of uh, how how together we have grown certainly as it relates to USA Hockey directly the volunteers in communities across America that make the sport grow they're the unsung heroes on the business side the connectivity of the major stakeholders and all the things that I've watched uh, happen over the course of the last 15 years another thing uh, that really makes me smile and you know we have Seattle coming on board here in the NHL uh, in a couple of years and hockey is already been going up in uh, that area, but that will, this will help boost it and get more people interested in the game. And, you know, the American hockey league, Dave, Dave Andrews is retiring as a commissioner. He's done such a great job uh, at, at that level. Minor league hockey helps impact the growth of kids and families being engaged in hockey. So does college hockey for that matter. And you, you can go on. So um, just, just the, the working together cooperatively, um, really has been great to see and, and been a big part of uh, the continued growth and evolution of our sport. Um, shifting gears, staying, staying with USA Hockey, uh, Jim Johansson has played such a huge role in, in the growth of the game and in growth of USA Hockey. He was a fantastic director of operations, hockey operations for, for USA Hockey. What, is, what has the effect been since his passing uh, in, in 2018? Oh gosh, it, it's uh, honestly really a tough topic to to, to talk about. Just uh, in the sense that Jimmy was such a good friend, obviously a colleague at work, but uh, a good friend too, and way, way, way too young to pass on. And his his impact was just enormous. And you talk about you talk about people and learning, and you know, I one thing I really always took from Jimmy is how to treat people. You know, I, I can't, I can think of the number of times on, on one hand and half of one hand when I ever heard him raise his voice, he would certainly get irritated on and off, but he just treated people, you know, so well. And he, he, he was so unassuming. He, he was, he's certainly one of the most influential people in the sport across the world, but you would find him. Uh, and this is one of his passions. When we got to an international tournament, he'd be in the locker room in sweats and a t-shirt, helping the, the training staff set up the locker room, pulling out equipment, moving medical equipment around, setting up lockers, 
And he just loved that. And then the next minute he'd be in a suit and tie and be in an executive meeting with people from across the world. So um, just his, his vision, his passion was community-based hockey. Of course, he grew up in Rochester, Minnesota. His father, Ken, uh, was also widely involved with Minnesota hockey and USA hockey over the course of time. But, but um, you know, Jimmy was so well-respected and able to get things done uh, to help move the ball forward. It didn't matter what part of hockey it was. Um, and he had such an immense expertise in that area. We, we miss it greatly. It, it, um, you know, there are just few people like him. And um, it's just still surreal today that he's not with us here on this earth. Um, one of, got to be one of your career highlights um, is being the director of communications in the Olympic Games for how many Olympic Games has been? One, two, three, four Olympic Games. Your first being in Torino. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I, I don't want to mispronounce. It's like Turin, Torino. Um, walk you pick through. one, Tony. That was a big debate going into those games. Wasn't it? We're gonna say Torino. Oh, yeah, it was. I know. <laughs> like, oh, man, if I say it wrong, I'm wrong, right? It's 50-50, right? <laughs> So walk through that. I mean, you've been at USA for for two years now, and now it's your first Olympics. Um, Had you been to a world championship by that point, so you kind of had some taste of world competition, or or is it just so much different that it's the Olympics and you're on the world stage? Well, I had had been to a world championship uh, indeed previously. Um, That said, there's just nothing uh, like the Olympics and they're all different. I've, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to be part of four Olympic winter games. Um, and I have fond memories uh, from all of them. When you think about the Olympics, it's, it's, uh, it's a collection of world championships essentially in sports under the umbrella of the right. Olympics, but the, the pomp and circumstance of it all uh, is just beyond pale. And I mean, people have heard about the Olympic village and what, what that's like. And if, if, if you're an elite level athlete, um, like that, you thrive on competition and playing the best and being the best. And I, I always, I always chuckle, uh, when I hear, you know, people say, oh, NHL players, they don't care about the Olympics. Mm, Uh, I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand that that is the furthest thing, uh, from the truth. And I've witnessed it up close in person. Our athletes, they thrive on playing with the best. And that's why you hear the, the surveys of, of NHL players, you know, it's 95% plus. Yeah. They want to play in the Olympics because that's just how they're driven and how they work. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the, the miracle on ice team in 1980, and you often still hear people harken back, Oh, we wish it was back with the college players. And, you know, miracle on ice is a story like, they'll never be again. And one of the great, great memories uh, of hockey in our, our country and really across the world. But um, Ben Smith, who coached uh, several of our women's Olympic teams, yes. uh, one of our most renowned coaches, he, he told me this about this whole harken back to the days uh, of college hockey and have college athletes make uh, up Olympic teams. And he said, David, and when he called me David, I better listen. <laughs> I made that mistake. <laughs> he said in 1960, our best players 
were on the Olympic team and they came from, they were firefighters and they were in other elements of business. Some were playing college, but the, our best players we had on that team in 1980, same thing. Today, today, our best players, we've evolved to the point where our best players play in the National Hockey League. Americans weren't always the most welcome in the National Hockey League, but today our best players in the NHL. So we, the Olympics is best on best. That's what we want to see. And I, I always share that story with people that want to hearken back to 80. It was a magical time. None, nothing will ever be like it again. But uh, I think largely hockey fans want to see best on best. That's what the Olympics was in 60. That's what it was in 80. And uh, so let's keep it that way. And I'm certainly hoping uh, when we head to the next games that we have the NHL players back in the game personally. You know, I think that could happen. Um, obviously, you're USA Hockey, so you don't really have any say in the, what the NHL does. You have a good, like you said earlier, you have a great relationship with them, but they have a league to run. They have bills to pay. They have, for some reason, they, they determined not to go back. Um, uh, I think it was a mistake, to be honest with you. I, I was thinking, oh, well, no one will even notice, but I think you do definitely, you definitely notice the difference. Well, you can just look back. I mean, um, and and I, I know it's a tough business evaluation for the NHL, and I, I get and totally respect there. I, I, I think back to Sochi in 2014, and it, if you come out of there, you come out with TJ TJ Sochi. Right. And we did not we did not win the gold medal, but there, there's a memory in that games with Oshie and shootout goal after shootout goal, and one of the grandest, most fun moments again in here in recent history that people still remember today. And I, you know. Still, my most probably my fondest memory, although we didn't win, was in 2010 in Vancouver in the Olympics, and you know, just an unbelievable environment for hockey, as you can imagine, yeah. being up in Canada. Um, and you know, both our men's and women's teams got to the gold medal game. Unfortunately, uh, lost both of them, but I I can still remember Zach Parise silencing a nation with 24 seconds to go in uh, the third period. And he ties the game to send it in overtime. Jamie Langenbrunner, another Minnesotan was right there in front of the net. I think yep. Patrick, Patrick Kane, one of our greatest players ever took the initial shot. And boom. I mean, the excitement uh, that I, I watched Doc Emmerich call that the excitement. Of course I was there and I was, I was in the hallway back behind the locker room waiting to come down a long tunnel to our bench to do the post-game things I needed to yep. do with the media. So it was me and probably 15 other building workers around this little tiny eight-inch screen. And, of course, they were all getting ready to celebrate the gold. And so I'm watching on this little monitor, and, and Zach scores that goal. And I stayed professional. I wanted to just scream at the top of my lungs, but I just did a little internal, yes. And they they all – they all just frowned and shoulders slumped and everything. And of course, I, the players came back out the tunnel and, and we were high-fiving and we thought we're going to win this doggone game and then didn't turn out that way. But it was such a great environment and um, something, you know, always remember. And again, you think, you think players don't care. I'll just, the environment in the locker room afterwards were guys sitting in their full equipment just almost in silence for a complete hour. It was it was just one of the most unbelievable scenes, and just you know you're right that close to a gold medal. And you asked earlier about the runner-up team in the Frozen Four, right? Kind of the same thing here, but but almost I can tell you, worse, guys were right? devastated and and uh, and cared. So you know the Olympics is is really something special. I mean, this last time around in 2018, when 
uh, on the women's side when Jocelyn Lamoureux had that oops, I did it again move in the shootout. And we came back in the third period and then Maddie Rooney and another UMD Bulldog so casually stopped that last Canada shootout. Yeah. And we broke a 20-year streak of not having won the gold medal on the women's side. You just to be there and be part of it, you just think, gosh, how lucky you are. I mean, there's a lot of work and energy, and you're, you're, it's really busy night and day for uh, essentially a month. But, um, you know, you smile to think that you have that opportunity. Now, this is the, the, the $64,000 question. And, and people ask me this uh, all the time. I get this. Does it ever feel like work? Well, you know, not too often, to be honest with you. I, I get up every day. I, I can tell you, I, I, I really, I, I'm trying to think of a day I got up and dreaded and like said, I have to go to work, you know? So uh, I, I think we, that's a, that's a great uh, secret sauce of life. Find your passion, whatever it is. And thankfully we all have different passions and dreams and goals and go chase it. You know, it may take longer than you want to get there or, um, but chase your dreams and uh, get after it and find something you like doing. Um, you know, there, there are certainly times that are tough, uh, tough times I've had over the course of the years. We dropped our football program at Michigan Tech and get through all that. You know, it wasn't fun. We got rid of a coach nine games into the season in hockey. You know, there, there are tough times. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's a lot of fun, Tony. Really a lot of fun. Uh, last but not least, we've we've touched on a little bit. Uh, let, let's try to solve the world's problems with this digital <laughs> digital media, digital world. To me, I wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for the the ease of access via Twitter and uh, YouTube and uh, internet streaming of hockey games. Uh, it it le- it, w- it leveled the playing field for just an independent guy who wanted to, who was passionate about the the sport, right? Um, but it also also has a flip side to it where it's everyone wants the stuff they want it now give it to me now and I want it fast and I want I want the best I want HD I want everything and it's a really you have a our consumers because we're kind of in the same business are more and more needy and and less and less patient speak to that yeah there's no question about it. The digital age uh, brings opportunity and good. It also brings with it uh, plenty of ill. And, you know, I, I think it contributes, honestly, to a teardown society and, and uh, you know, negativity more than I, I would certainly prefer. But it, it's what we're living in, uh, with that's not changing. So, you know, you just get on board and, and try to adapt. I, I um, you know, you, you want to make sure that... Um, you're doing the best best uh, that you can with the resources you have. I uh, you, you talk about you know I do I do get up every morning because you know again Twitter or any of these digital channels can cause a firestorm in a heartbeat. That wasn't that wasn't the case back when you and no. I first got started in this. And you know people can say whatever they'd like on their their everybody's their own media person to an extent right now. Everybody has access to these digital channels and whether things are true or not. Um, you can put them out there, whether they're out of context or not, you can put them out there and it can create real havoc, but it is, it is what it is. You live with it and uh, you adapt it. You take advantage of it uh, as you can. There, there is a lot of good and fun with it. And, um, you know, we're doing some of that too, during this, this uh, time we're in just some new things we're launching through digital channels and, you know, fun things with our national team athletes that, you know, you don't always have time to do. So, you know, there, there's good, but boy, um, you got to be 
caution and you know we always tell our young athletes you know you pretend you're shouting whatever you make sure you think twice every time you hit send on those channels and pretend you're talking to a million people and pretend this is in your record forever yeah uh, because you know you go back and employers go back they certainly look at all parts of your history when making decisions or gms are looking at your behavior uh using digital channels and everything else so um a lot of lessons can be learned yeah. from, from social yeah. media, too. Um, uh, speak to that just a little bit, Your uh, instanta- the instantaneous nature of your job versus 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Oh. Yeah, and, and like you said, people want instant reaction on everything. And, you know, we're careful. Uh, we want to make sure we know the facts before we would make any comment via social channels or yeah anything else but you know people do the instantaneous nature of things that that people want and and you know where we can we certainly uh, respond instantaneously um but you know we're going to make sure that you know again we know the landscape and and the facts and you know as a youth sports organization our tone uh on our uh, on all our communication channels is fairly conservative um, we can't do some of the you know, outlandish things that professional sports teams do no. um, because that's just really not our voice again, being um, youth sports oriented. And I give our, I think we, we do a good job of that overall and our sport has grown. It's fun to see. I give USA hockey such credit for so many things and being a leader in the youth sports movement and the expansion of our disabled hockey program and the passion that, you know, our leaders have for that area, our gold standard coaching education program that's lived for decades, all the things we've done in safety, moving up the checking age back, whatever it is, eight or nine years ago and being a leader in, in safety in so many ways. And so that's a fun part too, for us in our, in the communications realms, we have a great story to tell and people involved in our sport can be mighty proud because uh, I, we see people from other youth sports organizations in our building all the time, uh, trying to learn from the things that we have pioneered the way in. And uh, it takes everybody in the hockey community to make that go. And, uh, we're really very, very fortunate and blessed. I'm glad you brought that up. We were running low on time, but I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to speak to something. I want to get your thoughts on it. We are a hockey uh, is in, in USA hockey specifically is so far ahead of every sport, baseball, football. They're, they're literally, they're decades behind where we are with, and with, with as far as safety and training and safe sport and, and all the things that are related to this. And a lot of this stuff, actually a lot of the stuff that happens to us, hockey kind of starts here in Minnesota as a pilot and then ends up being something that's taken nationwide. Speak to that for us. Yeah, that's so true. And I mentioned Walter Bush earlier as a long time president. Do you know, I, you know I caddied for Walter Bush for years, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. You? I could tell oh, you stories God. beyond belief. Yeah. Oh. I could do a whole podcast on Walter Bush stories just on the golf course. Oh, we got to do that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> but you talk about leaders in our sport and the volunteer side. And um, Walter just, I mean, at the end of the day, he's the reason the women's hockey is in the Olympics. Um, but he, he's had such an enormous impact. Peter Lindbergh, some people may know, a judge in Minnesota. He was the head of our legal counsel for years and years and put the framework of so much 
uh, to help us stay out of courts in the litigation. Dr. Mike Stewart is our chief medical officer and yep, safety Mayo. officer from the Mayo Clinic. Mike McMillan from Minnesota is our co- national coach and chief. And I can go on. I mean, there are so many people in Minnesota, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of the uh, foundation of programs and uh, ways forward we have within USA Hockey, the national governing body. Um, a lot of the premise has come from the state of Minnesota, and that's uh, certainly a great uh, credit to the people I mentioned, and so so many more. You get in trouble when you start. Right, once you names. list one, yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I I'm like, ah, oh, I'm forgetting so many names because uh, so many people have done uh, so much terrific work. Yeah, that, that is for sure. Um, I had a blast uh, meeting you today before the show and, and, and talking to you about your career. It's It's been a blast. I wish, I wish we could have more time because <laughs> there's so many things to your career. Uh, I appreciate your time coming on and talking about USA Hockey, talking about your career, talking about all the different things that, that are related to hockey. I uh, appreciate you coming on today's show. Tony, uh, thanks a lot. It's been a real pleasure, and I really appreciate uh, all the visibility you give to hockey, particularly on the youth side. Um, keep up the charges. Thanks for the good work, and it's really been uh, nice to chat with you here today and get to know you a little bit. Uh, I do. I, I feel the same way, too. Hang on just one second. I'll about jump off there after I close close out the show. As part of today's show, uh, Dave will get a gift from the Minnesotan sent to him. Thanks to the Minnesotan again for their sponsorship of today's show. Make sure to stop in and check it out. My my good friend, John King, says it's the best store in the world. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you around the rink soon. <laughs>